Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Hope you've made the decision to subscribe to this podcast. We appreciate your reviews so much. I want to let you know, if you listen to the audio version of this podcast, we also have a video version that you can see instead. Both, hopefully, enjoyable and informative. So today, something that is becoming more and more a question coming into us is, what am I going to do My homeowner's insurance has been canceled. And this is a story that has been so big in California and Florida, but now is appearing in parts of other states as well. And we got to talk about this because rates are getting higher. And the idea, the prospect of not being able to obtain decent homeowner's insurance is definitely something that more and more people are facing. And later, credit bureaus are something people have always complained about, but the complaint rates about credit bureaus have been going way, way, way up. The credit bureaus are so important with the report cards they issue on you and me. There's things you got to know because what you don't know can really hurt you with this. We'll talk about that. So... I keep doing interviews heavily in Florida by media outlets wanting to talk about homeowners insurers that are leaving the state of Florida. Same thing's been happening in the state of California, but not as bad yet. And people who've never had a claim suddenly are out there trying to find anywhere they can get homeowners insurance. I mean, that's really really a bad scenario because what happens is if your insurance provider says we give up or they go insolvent as has happened i think with 14 different homeowners insurers in the last year in florida then your mortgage company if you have a mortgage puts in what's known as forced placed insurance that is really horrific insurance that is typically premium set at 10 times market rates and automatically billed to you, but for the only purpose to protect the mortgage company. It's This is a bad, bad, bad scenario. First, why is this happening? Well, it doesn't take a lot of processing to realize that Florida is this really long peninsula that most of it is near sea level. The number of storms has dramatically increased. The amount of damage happening to homes and areas going up. California, the wildfires. And the weird thing is in so much of the heartland, 
the rate of flooding of homes that are not in federally designated flood zones has been increasing because the pattern we're in right now in much of the world is the storms that come are much more intense than they may have been in recent generations. And so they'll dump a lot more water in a very short period of time, causing a lot more property damage than in the past. And so a lot of homeowners insurers are like, okay, they're redlining. They're saying, this area, we're not going to write anymore. Obviously, along coastlines, insurers are saying, too hot to handle, we're getting out. So this is getting extra hard. So what do you and I do about this as a moving target? The traditional advice of, you know, just shop around and see what's available and check the rating of the insurer, blah, blah, blah. Now it's more a survival game in certain situations, particularly in Florida and California, and maybe coming to a neighborhood near you. So one thing is to look for an experienced independent agent. Independent agents are people, they tend to be older, and they tend to represent or can write multiple insurance companies. They do this every day, all day long, and they understand the marketplace that you face in your area, in your zip code, or in your state. And they'll help you find whoever they feel will write you, who is the best potentially available in your circumstance. And there's something I want you to do. I want you to, when you're shopping for homeowner's insurance, take out the highest deductible that if you have a mortgage that your mortgage lender will permit you to have. If you don't have a mortgage, which roughly a third of homeowners don't have a mortgage, I want you to take out the highest deductible you can stand. And if you're talking with an independent agent, he or she will be able to advise you on what that level is. Is it, uh, I don't mean to scare you here, but I'm going to, $10,000 deductible, is that the real price break point? Is it $25,000? Whatever it is, I want you to totally reset your expectations of what homeowner's insurance is for. It's for catastrophic losses only. And that is something we're going to have to get used to. That when it's a smaller thing, you are self-insured. When it's a larger thing, that would be absolutely devastating to your life, your finances, your wallet. That's what the insurance is for. And ultimately, as I've said in every interview I've done in Florida, we're going to have to look at in areas on the coast or the entire state of Florida, as an example, states are going to have to look at being the role of what's known as reinsurers. Because the problem for homeowners insurers in Florida and in California is they can't calculate the outside risk. They can't calculate what is the total cost that could destroy an entire large insurance company? So that's why they're leaving. If states in affected areas, coastal regions across the Gulf of Mexico and up the Atlantic coast, not really the Pacific coast, are going to have to consider taxpayer-supported reinsurance funds 
that would deal with the outside risk and then the insurance market would heal because insurers would not have to worry they can't calculate that outside risk level. And that's better than the situation we're in now with insurance getting harder and harder even to be able to get. On that happy note... All right. Well, Diane in Texas is going through something. She says, unfortunately, I'm going through a divorce. Our home is sorry, Diane. Yep. Our home is paid for and mortgage free. In order to stay in my home, I will have to pay my spouse. The house is now worth two and a half times more than we purchased it for. Should I tap into my 401k and use that money since I'll be 65 in July? Or should I get a loan? If I do the former, this will cut my retirement savings in half. In half? Wow, half for the buyout. (sighs) Diane, I'm going to step into it right here because I know you're going through a terrible emotional loss right now. And the house feels like a source of stability and continuity to you in your life. If it would require you to wipe out half of your retirement funds, require you to borrow an amount that would equal half of your on-hand retirement funds. I'm going to say something that may be very disappointing and, and upsetting to you. The right answer in most cases in a circumstance like this, as you're 65, your prime working years are in the rearview mirror. You don't want to be in a situation where you're always pressured by the cost of paying that mortgage on the house or having depleted a lot of your savings that you don't have, I'd say all things being equal, you need to consider selling the house. And you pay off your estranged spouse, there's their half of the equity that you owe, and you have the money to buy a more affordable, maybe smaller residence, or be a renter, either option. But I think it would be a bad decision for you to be house rich, cash poor. And maybe I'm wrong about this because I'm just hearing a tiny bit about your situation and your finances. And you could certainly go to a fee-only financial planner, like a Garrett Planning Network person or whatever, go over the situation. And maybe they'd say, I'm crazy, I'm all wrong And these are the ways you'd be able to live securely and keep the house. But just based on what you told me, I would say that probably the best idea is to sell the house and buy a more modest dwelling or rent a more modest dwelling. I also recently read something that said a lot of women try to stay in their homes. I'm not sure, like you said, if Diane's doing it for that reason, because of the sentimental value and the kids having stability and it puts them in a bad, you know, a really bad financial position. The other thing I was thinking about is when, if you do like pay your spouse out, you have to worry about long-term capital gains when you go to sell the house. Right. So maybe that could be calculated in as if, well, yeah. And if you sell now, if you're still, if you're going through a divorce, but not divorced, then each of you are entitled to $250,000 tax-free from the sale of the home, from the profits of the home. And so it is the one time that we get such a great deal from the tax code 
that we can pocket that money without having to pay any federal capital gains tax at all. And Mark in Virginia says, I have a son who we want to help build credit, but we were looking for something that still limits his purchases to a specified amount. I know you don't like debit cards, but isn't there a credit slash debit card where you can only charge up to the amount of money you have in a linked account? I feel like it was somehow tied to Walmart and you had suggested it for those who had bad credit to be able to build it back up. I know you've gone the route of adding your son as an authorized user, but I like the feature of limiting the charge amount to what he would have in an actual cash, thus making it so it ties more to actual money as opposed to credit. So uh, we've got some things mixed here. So first, what you were talking about, Walmart and American Express have a joint venture thing called Bluebird. And Bluebird does not help you establish credit, but it's an American Express process card that allows you to buy things anywhere American Express is accepted. When you have a Bluebird card, depending on how you set it up and how you fund it over time, it can be completely free or have some relatively small junk fees with it. But it's not credit, so it doesn't help you establish credit. But it does strictly limit what your son can spend because all he can spend is what's in the Bluebird account at that time. So it has an automatic break in it that prevents spending that would be unsustainable or would lead to debt or whatever. So the the other thing I talked about, if you add your son as an authorized user but don't give him the card, if your credit's solid, he basically is lent your good credit and it gives him the ability to apply for credit on his own once he's working or in college. And so that is how, Mark, you can do both things. You can have a card that has a tight spending limit, like Bluebird, limited to the cash that's on deposit in the Bluebird account, and at the same time, lend your good reputation with good credit by making your son an authorized user but not giving him the plastic. Third alternative that does what you're talking about You hopefully are a member of a credit union already. If you're not, you can join. Uh, Your son can join. And credit unions overwhelmingly offer what are called fresh start programs that tie in having a credit union savings and or checking account, what they call a share draft at a credit union, with a Visa or MasterCard that has a limit established typically for 18 months based on your participation in the credit union, what you have on deposit in the credit union, and then a good payment record over that typically 12 or 18 month period, the security of the accounts is released and the card is uh, reported from the beginning as a regular credit card and becomes a full-fledged credit card after that 12 or 18 month period. Wow, that was a lot to say. Speaking of credit, coming straight ahead, the credit bureaus have never been anybody's friend. But right now, they're working really hard at being your enemy. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know to fight back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The data is in from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau on what people had the most problems with involving the banking industry last year. And there's one trend that stands out so strong, it's a stunner. Complaints against Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian roughly doubled in one year. Now, most people have never even heard of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but 604,000 of your fellow Americans found their way to this obscure federal agency to file a complaint about mess-ups or alleged mess-ups from Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. The credit bureaus continue to embarrass themselves. They seem incapable of feeling embarrassed. They continue to trash their reputations without seems care or concern and how careless they are with your and my information and your and my credit reputation. What the credit bureaus have affects us in ways we wouldn't even think about when we're applying for a job, when we're applying for auto insurance, when we're applying for homeowner's insurance. And if you've never heard me say this, it's really something that surprises people, someone who has a record of DUIs or DWIs but has a great credit score pays far less for auto insurance than somebody with a perfect driving record who has a low credit score. That's how important it is. lame that auto insurers do that, but it's how it works. And that's why you have got to be on top of what's going on with your credit reports because errors are so common. A single error on your credit report can demolish your credit reputation. Out of nowhere, credit you have can be shut off. Credit you apply for, denied. A vehicle loan you apply for, the interest rate you're quoted could be three times, four times, five times the interest rate that you expected because of an error on your credit report. There can also be something on your credit report that's right that you didn't know about but is trashing your reputation at potential great harm to you. And that job opportunity you are so excited about, you could lose it because of what shows on your credit. So that's why what you don't know can hurt you. And the sooner you're on top of it, the better. Now, the traditional answer to give is for you to go to annualcreditreport.com and there you can receive a free copy no matter what kind of kind job Equifax, TransUnion, Experian try to do on that website to get you to pay for junk you don't need. Under the law, they have to give you a free copy of your credit report And that is the place you go, 
annualcreditreport.com, period. That's it. And you go there and you get your files and you can see if something's there that's not right, you then challenge what's not right. And that creates an investigative period. So let's say somebody says you were delinquent on a credit card and you weren't. You dispute that with the credit bureau and at the same time during that dispute window, which is typically 30 days, you contact that credit card company that said you were a deadbeat and you say, "Uh uh-uh, no deadbeat here. And you get them to behave themselves at the credit card company. If you don't do that part and you just dispute it with the credit bureau, credit bureau contacts the bank that has that credit card and they say, yeah, yeah, they were, they were a deadbeat. And then the credit bureau says, oh, we investigated, and you're a deadbeat. It's up to you to use that window of your dispute to actively dispute with whoever it is has you listed as not having handled credit as you're supposed to. The most common thing people find out when they look at a credit report is there'll be some medical collection on there you never knew about from some visit you went to, but you never got a bill, and then they ruin your credit temporarily. The good news with medical bills is once they're settled, they vanish from your credit history. So again, the more you know, the better. I also recommend Credit Karma as an alternative. It's free. They make money on uh, knowing about you and soliciting you with offers, but you get access to a facsimile of your credit score from two of the three bureaus every single day, whenever you want it. It's free, and you can see your full report, and they offer free credit monitoring. It's a pretty good gig. Uh, If your credit's frozen, you have to temporarily thaw it to set up a Credit Karma dashboard. Krista? Stacy in North Carolina says, I received a notice that I was declined for a loan. I did not apply for the loan and my credit is frozen. I called the company to report the fraudulent information that someone applied for this loan and it was not me. The customer service agent directed me to complete an affidavit with all of my information on it, including my address, social security number, and date of birth. I don't want to give this information to them to report it. I checked Credit Karma, and there have been no hard credit pulls on my account for at least a few years. How should I proceed? Love your show and your team. So, Stacy, here's what happened here. By the way, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. I completely forgot to express gratitude for that. Sorry. I'm so focused on the issue you raised. So what happens when your credit is frozen, a crook who has your Social Security number and other key information will apply for a loan. This is a high-risk lender they applied to, probably one that grants money instantly in person with the application. Well, because your credit was frozen, the application was rejected. So the letter you received from them basically is you were declined, and the reason was they couldn't access your credit. You don't need to do anything with them. But what you do know now is somebody's out there with your personal information and attempting to obtain credit as if they're you, and the credit freeze worked just as it should. All right, Greg in West Virginia says, I've heard you warn against paying bills by check and encourage use of online bill pay. 
I've discovered a few payees where the bank will create a check on our behalf and then mail it, sometimes delaying payment arrival and generating a late fee. In these cases where online bill pay is a slower process, is it a safe practice to fill in the credit card information in the space provided to pay by card? So Greg, yes. And paying by credit card is much safer than paying by check. When you pay by credit card, even if that number gets intercepted somewhere, you are liable for nothing. If somebody intercepts your check, though, what a mess. And you point out appropriately that often there will be a broken link when you're paying a bill to a business. And instead of the payment going electronically, they're actually printing out a paper check like it's 1970 and putting it in the mail, except the stamp's not five cents or whatever it was in 1970. <laughs> I don't even know what a stamp costs now. I never I don't mail either. anything. I have forever and I have stamps. Forever stamps. Yeah, they'll last forever. Yeah. Uh, so you have brought up a very valid point. So if you can pay by credit card, my preference is you go online to sign into your account at whoever it is you're paying and you pay online instead of mailing in your number on that slip. So many of the major credit card issuers, when you pay an online payment, issue the payment with your card with a one-time use number. So even if somebody was dishonest along the way, there's nothing for them to use. When you fill out your credit card number on the bottom of one of those forms and you, and you use that to pay, well, then somebody, if there is a dishonest person where that payment comes in, they got your uh, credit card number, often your expiration date, and often your three-digit code on the card. So paying at an online link with your credit card is the safest in the scenario you painted. Aaron in Tennessee says, I have four nephews, ages 1 to 15. I want to set up 529s for them. Their parents aren't good with money. Is there a way for me to set up the 529s in their names that I manage instead of their parents? Yes. You set up the 529 in your name. You open four of them. And each of them, you're the owner of the 529 account. And you name each of the four nephews on each account. You name one nephew per account as the beneficiary of that 529. And then you control that 529 money. And that is the right thing to do when you're really worried that the parents are not going to behave with that money. And interestingly enough, that's a question that's come up repeatedly from grandparents of grandkids that they don't trust the, the parents to be responsible with the money and do with it what they uh, expect them to do for the benefit of the grandchild. And so in that case, the grandparent owns the account for benefit of the grandchild. Used to be a tax problem with that, not anymore. So you are a very generous soul to do this for your four nephews. And I'm not sure where the nephews live or if there's a tax break. Because Aaron's in Tennessee. Tennessee. Which is on the honor roll on Clark.com slash 529. There's no, no state, state benefit. Because there's no state income tax. 
in Tennessee for most things. Yes, that makes sense. Okay. So if you live in Tennessee, the nephews live in Tennessee, the Tennessee plan is not one of the very best in the country, but it's good enough. Uh, Although since there is no state tax benefit, I would look at our highest level plans that we have on our 529 guide at clark.com slash 529. And I'd pick one of those as where you would put the kids 529 money. You know, if you do the Utah one, you get free lift tickets. You do the New York one, you get a free tour of the Statue of Liberty. No, you don't get any of those things. But those are two of the very best plans in America. You can go look at the list and see all the really great ones that are available to you. And why don't they do bonuses like that? That would be fun. I mean, free lift tickets, that would be something I'd be all about, right? Oh, well. I hope the rest of your day is absolutely fantastic. And remember, in your life, you only create breathing space financially when you're intentional about living on less than what you make. And our goal here is to give you ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Have a great one. 